before every race, I'll draw out like either the race route or the race profile. And then I just spend the time thinking about when am I going to find the race tough? So try and, you know, picture that and go through in my mind when those tough moments are going to be before I even get to the start line. So when they happen in the race, I can think back going, it's okay. Like I knew it was going to be tough at this point. Hello, I am Carla Molinaro, and this is my No Finish Line podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of No Finish Line podcast. And in this episode, I'm joined by hockey pro athlete Carla Molinaro. Carla is a record-breaking ultra-runner, adventurer and running coach who seeks out events that are slightly harder than the average. She loves to push her body and mind to the limits by running a long way up mountains around islands. And in July 2020, she ran the length of Great Britain from Land's End to John O'Groats and set a new ladies' world record along the way. Carla has represented Great Britain at the 50km World Championships and 100km World Championships. Most recently, Carla has won the IAU 50km World Championships in Hyderabad, India and also led the Great Britain women's team to a team gold. I was there to witness this result, and it was a great display of grit and determination from the start. Carla, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for that intro. <laughs> Thanks for having me. The morning after the race, I met you at breakfast. So the group was there, myself, yourself, Courtney Olson, Melissa Tanner and your parents. We were chatting away. Your dad was talking about the food selection. I was talking about how confusing I was finding everything. You were chatting with Courtney and Melissa and we were planning the day ahead. Hours previous, you had stood in the podium as the 50km world champion. And you also stood in a uh, second time when the team results were called out. You got another gold medal result as you had led the team to the top of the podium. And Courtney and Melissa had also won team medals. Now, collectively, we were trying to decide on what to do and where to go. We weren't talking about the race. Did you feel like a world champion that morning? Not really, no. <laughs> I still don't. Yeah, I was kind of thinking that myself just afterwards. I was sitting around and I said, this is all so surreal. We're talking about food and sightseeing and there was, there was no mention of the race and it was a world championships. Yeah. No, I actually hadn't thought about that until you've said that now. But And I the same I, as the I day progressed. It was, <laughs> and, and you actually missed the after party. Yeah. Why was that? Yeah, I did. Um, I was actually a little bit sick after the race. And I'd like vomited quite a lot on finishing the race and I actually couldn't get up off my bathroom floor. I think I'd probably drunk too much water and had like no salts left in my body. So I was very sad not to be joining the fun because I really wanted to go to the party. (laughs) Yeah, so you didn't really get a chance to celebrate what was after happening apart from the closing ceremony and the prize giving. You didn't get to, to kind of experience what the rest of us did. Yeah, it wasn't, that was like a little bit sad because I was like really hoping to go to that and just, I don't know, I guess because like in the lead up to the race as well, I'd basically been sitting in my hotel room eating rice out of my rice cooker on my own and I was looking forward to actually getting to socialise with everyone once the race was done and then didn't really get to do that. For me as as a non-looker, you look very grounded. So how do you keep yourself grounded? Oh, God, that's a tough question. Um, I don't know. For me, like running's just really fun. Like I just really enjoy doing it and feel that I'm lucky to 
have like the experiences and stuff that I do. So I, don't know, I guess for me, sometimes it almost still feels like it is my hobby, even though it's my job. So maybe that's the reason why. And do you feel that that's important to be able to stay grounded and not get these notions about yourself? Yeah, I think so. like for me, it's it's about enjoyment, isn't it? Like yes. any of these things that we do, we do them because they're fun. And the minute it stops being fun and becomes like a job and a chore, I think you you lose that sense of what running is for you. And I've actually seen that like with a few, I think it was like Holly Bradshaw that did an interview with Athletics Weekly, you know, saying how hard the Olympics was and how people are not making money when they're there, which I think is like, it's really sad. I get that, you know, a lot of these sports and stuff, it, it is people's main income and their job, but it should also be enjoyable. And that should be with like any job that you do, I think. I'd agree with that. There does have to be enjoyment. But as I was looking at you as well before the start or, or just hearing your name be mentioned, there is a bit of responsibility there as well and maybe a little bit of extra pressure on your shoulders. I think people were mm. expecting you to do well. And with those expectations, it does put that little bit of extra pressure on. So you can enjoy it, but I think there is still that maybe responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, and I didn't, it was really weird. When I was warming up for the start of the race, a couple of girls ran past me and one of them said to her friends, oh, that's her. And I was like, who? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, they're talking about me? Like, that's really weird. Yeah, you see, that's the, and that's the grounded part. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I found that bizarre where yeah. you're just like, oh, okay. Okay, my, my cards are marked. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're probably thinking, where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, now I, I'm I'm going to go back a bit in time now uh, soon, but let's talk a little bit about the race. We often hear of mention to control the controllables. What would you mm. say were the controllables in this race? Because I, I found it a very, very difficult race. Now, I wasn't running, but to me, yeah. looking at it from a strategic point of view, it was very difficult. So what would you have called the controllables there? Well, I think going into the race, we knew what the temperature was going to be like. It was a very typical day in India at that time of year from when I'd like looked at the weather and stuff before. So for me, like one of the controllables was going and training in the heat and humidity, which I did for like two weeks before. So I guess that was like the race preparation. And then on the day, I really liked it that it was 10 5K loops. So you could like in terms of like controlling like nutrition and hydration that was very easy to do because it was like almost like a metronome like the way that we were coming through those aid stations that there, there wasn't really much variation in it so for me that made that very easy and I guess yeah just being as prepared as you could going into it. Mm. You were saying you found the aid station quite easy I was standing behind your aid station one time and mm. you came through as a team Mm. You passed through the A station very, very quickly. So as mm. far as teamwork concern, was concerned, how did you manage at the A station? Because you were passing through so quickly, there wasn't much room for more than one athlete. So there was definitely no room for yeah. error. Is the A station strategy something that you had planned before the race started or did you, did you just have to figure that out as you were running? 
No, we figured it out as we were running. And I kind of thought as we came around the first time, I said to the other two girls, I was like, right, girls, like, let's just spread out as we go through this aid station. Let's get into a line. Everyone make sure that you get your eight, your whatever you, you're picking up, and then we'll regroup again for the next loop. Because I'd made that mistake at the 100K World Champs where I'd come in with a couple of the boys and they had missed me and I didn't stop to get my stuff and ended up like in this massive panic. And yeah, it kind of derailed my whole race. So it was quite good going in. And then each time we went back in, we got back into that almost like a little train going through the aid station, picking it up and then joining back into our group. So yeah, it was... It seemed to work really, really well because, well. yeah, I got a video of yourself and the girls coming through as you passed our aid mm. station and you just flew by and that's the first thing that came, that came to my mind was, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they're not stopping here because it happened yeah. so quick and you mentioned about the 10 5k loops. If you had missed something at the aid station, it then becomes a 10 kilometre loop and with the yeah. conditions on that day, 10 kilometres is a long, long way. Yeah, 10K is too long. 5Ks was perfect. The original plan was for a 10K loop. Do you know if there was going to be yeah. two aid stations? I'm thinking that yeah. would have been quite difficult to manage as well, wouldn't it? Because we would have all been spread out. Yeah, I think that would have been a lot harder and you wouldn't have got any race feedback. What was really, what I really liked about this course as well is that there was about a 2K bit that was out and back. So you could see where you were in the race you could see how, like, the emotion on everyone else's faces yes. and how you, you almost got a feel for what everyone else was going through. They're suffering as well. For me, was great. Yeah, it was you. It was that, like, constant feedback loop of what was actually happening in the race, which I think is really important. And if we had done the original single loop, we wouldn't have got that because it was a continuous loop without an out and back. And what would you say were the uncontrollables in the race? I guess not really knowing what everyone else was going to do. Like, you know, looking on paper, I was probably had like the 20th slowest marathon time out of and that's what I was thinking. all the girls there. <laughs> if, if, well, if I was to put money on that race, on paper, I, th I think the US team looked the strongest. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely had very quick marathon time. So for me, I didn't really know what, everyone was thinking you know you have a chat with everyone before and you try and get a feel for how people are going to race and what pace and stuff they're going to go out at but yeah you couldn't really control it you just had to see how the race was going to unfold and go with it a little bit and trust it and then 50 kilometers is a difficult distance because a lot of marathon runners do do it and then the, there's a lot happens beyond 42k mm. isn't it but that's where the other mm. experience comes in as well yeah yeah, so for me, that played into my strengths that it was a little bit longer than what the other girls were used to or what they were expecting. And if you were going to do the same race again, is there anything you would change with your race strategy? Not really. It was kind of, for me, it, it was really cool doing a race where I put a bit of strategy into it and wasn't just time trialling. Okay, I enjoyed that. Yeah. Right, now let's go back a little bit in time. The first ultramarathon I have you recorded as doing was the Comrades back in 2015. 
comrades down run and you ran 7.40 and 5 seconds. Would that be right? Um, I think the first one was 2016 in about 727 because I just got... In 2016, I have you at 7.22.45. Yeah, that was my first one. And this year, you went and ran the same race in 6 hours and 23 Mm. seconds. (laughs) How did you go from 7 hours 22 to 6 hours 23 seconds? Um, I think lots of things. I think um, knowing that course, like that, you know, knowing what to expect, knowing what's coming up, um, a consistent block of training, like being older and stronger and having more miles in my legs, knowing how to race, um, fueling better, respecting the distance a bit more. Just I think like all of those things just add have added up over the years. And in this race, the most recent one, you finished in third place and mm. anyone within the top 10 gets a gold medal, yeah. which must be fantastic. But were you thinking about that 23 seconds when you crossed the finish line? Oh, no. To have like, a finish there with care. five hours? No, not really. Like, no. Like, a few people have asked me that. And to be honest, in my race planning that I did before, I thought that I would finish between... Um, 5.55 and 6.10. That's kind of where I'd like planned my race. It was somewhere like that. So to actually get in at that time, I was, I was over the moon to get six hours. Oh, it's incredible. Like actually just that time is phenomenal. And I think your time from this year, if you had have gone back to the, the year previous, the time mm. you... In 2022, you finished in 7.05. So your six hours would have won the race the year before. Yeah. So I know. Yeah. For quite a lot of years, I probably would have won with that time. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's quite a few. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I know. And that would, like, I'm looking at that as well and say, oh, geez, how about the timing, you know, I, like it's such a good time. And to think of what, you know, what I would have done and to win a race like that or to finish in the top 10, like in one of the most competitive ultra marathons in the world like that's phenomenal mm. Mm. as well as doing these races you've also done a couple of challenges or endurance events and one being the the joggle which is John O'Groats to Land's End you set a record yeah. for running that back in July 2020 it's a distance of 874 miles and you covered that in 12 days 30 minutes and 14 seconds beating the previous record by over over 10 hours what made you mm. even think that you could cover that kind of a distance? I'd done some multi-day stuff before. Um, and yeah, I didn't know if I could. I think the point of that was like to see if I could. It's that a long way. What, yeah, <laughs> it's a very long way. <laughs> um, and a lot of the yeah, multi-day events are in places that you're unfamiliar with and it's almost like like a holiday in a way you're getting to experience new stuff but here you're running on motorways or country roads in you know familiar territory and you have that weather to contend with as well yeah that was it's not the most scenic route you're pretty much on a dual carriageway for for the whole run so you're not you're not doing it for the views that's for sure (laughs) did you go into that uh, as a challenger for the record or was your aim just to complete it? Oh no, my aim was to get the record. Um, so I'd done all the planning and stuff based on what the previous record 
was and that that was my intention to go out there and and try and beat it so all the planning and stuff was yeah around that and that you finished that just a month before the comrades do you think that was good preparation for the comrades um no that one was in the lockdown year oh sorry i'm looking at 2012 oh yes yes yeah 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 so was part of your reason for doing it to kind of give yourself something to do during lockdown Oh yeah, hundred percent. Okay, nothing well that's, else to do. So yeah, that's a good idea, Andy. <laughs> and was there any reason for you for you picking that route? Now, if I was going to do it, I would pick the same route John O'Groves to Lands End because I think it has a nice ring to it, where you're finishing at Lands End rather than starting at Lands yeah. End, which really makes it Lands Beginning when you think of it. Yeah. Um, so originally, I was going to do it that way round, and then I actually had a chat with Dan Lawson, who had done it the year before attempted it the year before me and I spoke to him to get a little bit of advice and he told me to do it in the other direction because he found the wind was really hard um doing it John O'Groats to Land's End so I thought you know what I've asked him for his opinion so I might as well actually use his advice so uh, yeah I changed my direction based on what he had said and as you mentioned, Dan Lawson, so his record is nine days, 21 hours, 40 minutes and two seconds. Dan mm. also runs a 24 hour race. So he's represented Great Britain in 24 hours a few times. And a lot of people who attempt fastest known times like this are also involved in the 24 hour racing. That's one you haven't really touched mm. on yet. Have you any thoughts on maybe taking part in a 24 hour race? Oh, God, no, that doesn't Why appeal not? to me at all. <laughs> I think, I don't know. It's in between what you're doing. It is, but I really like sleeping. And (laughs) I don't know, the thought of like not sleeping for 24 hours, well, longer, it's just, it's just not really appealing. You can't have got much sleep during the juggle. I got about five hours a night. Um, But no, I didn't get much. Um, But yeah, I don't know why. It just doesn't really do anything. doesn't tick any boxes for me. Are you not tempted uh, or I suppose curious to see how far you could actually go? Because all the clues are there now and yeah. plus the 24 hour race would actually be a lot, I suppose the, the pace would be a lot easier than what you would do in your 100k yeah. you know? and you're well used to staying up for long periods of time. Mm. I mean, never say never, but at the moment, not really. Right. But who knows? Might change my mind. Well, if I was going to chance to juggle, could you give me a strategy with which to attempt your record at? Um, yeah, I think if you're going to go for it, so like what I did is I basically got Sharon's record, who had had it before me, and I broke it down into like the days and time that I would need to, the distances I'd have to complete each day in order to get the record. So I think you would get my distance and, you know, think about, I gave myself for Sharon's like a 24 hour buffer. So by doing that, it meant I knew I would creep into it at some point, but I had like such a big window to do it. Um, I was never stressed. And I think the biggest thing with doing that is just being able to, I think, suck up pain and, you know, understand that it is going to hurt and it's not going to be fun but as long as you can accept that then you're right as soon as you yeah stop accepting it that's when it's going to get tough yeah. right okay and 
What was your nutrition like during that race? Did you have any problems with your feeding? Or not, not no, race, but fast at one time? Um, I basically had something to eat every 30 minutes from when I woke up and had breakfast to when I had dinner and went to bed. Um, I would have like a bigger breakfast, a mid-morning snack and um, dinner as like bigger meals. And then every 30 minutes in between that, I would have something like some fruit or a yogurt or a piece of cake or a bar, just anything basically. And I was just eating constantly. In the end, I actually ended up getting blisters in my mouth because I was eating so much. And I later found out that that is like a common thing that people get when they do these multi-day ultras. but yeah, that wasn't that wasn't much fun. But yeah, I never had a dip in energy or didn't and I never had like any stomach issues the whole time. Um yeah, that was one thing that I did manage to to nail pretty well. Were there times during it when you were having your sleep or your off day off time that you were wishing you could have a bit of a, a lie in rather than be getting up to go running again? No, no. And like one of the girls who was like supporting me, like crewing me on it said, you know, you've got like loads of time. There's a massive buffer. Why don't you like have an extra day off? And I was like, because then it's going to take me longer to finish it. And at that point, I just wanted to get it done. So I was like, I'm not taking any any longer than, than I need to. So yeah. And because you're in so much pain, the only way to get the pain to stop is to like probably stop for about a week so right. yeah I wasn't willing to, <laughs> to stop sooner because I knew it wouldn't really make a difference and that's exactly what I was thinking when I when I seen how much you had beat the previous record boy that that would allow you to kind of slow it down and mm. take things a little bit more comfortably maybe have an extra half an hour in bed yeah but no I was just like just let's just finish this yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're very hard on yourself. Actually, speaking of food, did you have any problems with the food over in India? Um, well, actually, for before the race, I went out and bought a rice cooker and just cooked in my bedroom. Okay. Um, like a crazy person. And you just um, you just came down to that little cafe for the cakes then, was it? Yeah, after the race, I ate everything. Uh, it was just before the race. So yeah, before I was making sure that that was like the control, the controllables. Like right. I knew that's, that's really interesting. That, yeah. That food was potentially going to be an issue. So yeah. I was like, let me just take that out of it. So I don't have to, it's just one less thing to worry about. Um, but yeah, afterwards I ate everything and I, and actually my stomach was, I was completely fine with all of the food after the race. So who knows? I probably would have been fine with it during and before, but I wasn't, that wasn't really a risk I was willing to take. As you said, probably. It's one thing you're warned about when you go yeah. somewhere like India. Yeah. Is to be careful with the food. I think, yeah. as far as I know, only one person got really, really bad with the food. That was one of the okay. Canadian guys. And oh, right. On race day, I could see him suffering that he was... Really? Yeah, still had the after effects of it. But apart from that, yeah. I think most people were okay. But as you said, it's not really... 
something you want to be taking a chance on. Like when we, we were talking about no. gels and expiry dates and stuff, you don't want to be taking a chance on something when the race has such a high value. It's yeah, not, exactly. it's not worth taking me, a chance. No, I was like, I've tried, you know, I've trained so hard for this. I've like gone, you know, I've been away from home for, it's going to have been like a month by the end of it. So, you know, just to cook some rice and eat boring food in my bedroom for a few days is not really a big deal. That's a really good idea. And I'm going to take note of that one now. Did you say you bought the rice cooker <laughs> over there or brought it with you? Yeah, yeah, I did. Luckily, okay. you're in a place where it was readily available and very easy for me to find one. Right, okay, good idea. Now, how did you actually get involved in ultra running? What made um, you do that first race? I think it was actually like my dad, you know, I've come from South Africa and kind of grew up with comrades and he had said to me that I wasn't a real runner until I did comrades, so. Okay, right, that's nice of <laughs> I know it was probably like seated there in the back of my mind that this is something like a rite of passage that I had to do if I wanted to be a, a, a quite real runner. Well, it looks like he was right, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I think you you were doing triathlon beforehand, was that right? Yeah, I did triathlon for about 10 years, actually. Um when I went to university until 2014, that's when I stopped doing triathlon. And would you see triathlon as being a little bit more glam than the ultra running? Oh, definitely. So how could you turn your back on that? Oh, when like, you're actually it's doing just, okay. triathlon's just so much admin. Okay. It's, <laughs> you know, you've got to think about a bike and a yeah. wetsuit and swimming and running, where I find actually now I've got a much better like balance in terms of running and seeing my friends and work and all of that jazz because it's very easy to chuck your running shoes in a bag and if you're going away for the weekend you know you can nip out for a for a quick run um and for me I just I just find I've got a better balance when I was doing triathlon it was like almost a bit more obsessive I found that, yeah, there was so much more to think about. And, you know, running now, I probably train 10-ish hours a week. When I was doing triathlon, you're training 20, which right. is a significant difference. Yeah, big difference. Yeah. Big difference. And then, as you said, with the running, you just need to step outside your door and you can go for a run. Exactly. With triathlon, you, anywhere. You, you need access to a swimming pool or a, or a lake or the, or mm. the, the coast or something. Right. So let's yeah. go back into the ultra running now. So this is where we are. 2018, you ran the 100 kilometer World Championships in Croatia. I mean, this year you ran mm -hmm. 50 kilometer World Championships. Would you have a favorite distance? Uh, yeah, 50k. Oh, 50k. <laughs> I thought you were going to say 100k yeah. because I would think no. that with, with 100k, there's more chance for you to kind of problem solve and correct mistake. 50k, as you just mentioned, there's not really much room for errors. And for somebody there as a support crew, the race is nearly over too quickly for you to get to enjoy it. Yeah, I think the thing that I liked about the 50K is that when I started ultra running, I never thought I'd be good enough or quick enough to, you know, race the 50K well. And I think this year I first like thought, oh, actually, maybe I might be all right when I did two oceans. So, yeah, for me, it's probably on paper everyone thinks I should be better 
at the 100k but it's been quite nice I guess just to prove to myself that I can do both. Would you go back to the 100k? Or not would you, will you? I actually was just talking to my coach about this this afternoon where, you know, he said, do I want to go and try and break the British record at the 100K? Because next year will be 100K world champs. Um, and I I don't know. Something like something's holding me back and thinking I don't actually want to race the 100K worlds. Um and then at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but should I give it? He's kind of planted a little bit of a seed, but I haven't quite decided yet. I'm thinking the same because maybe you're more ready for that 100k now. Sarah Webster, who was yes. on your team, she ran hmm. in the Anglo-Celtic Plate in Craig Avon in Northern Ireland last year. And she ran, hmm. oh, sorry, earlier this year. And she ran a time that would have been the European record if yes. the facilities were there to do uh, drug testing and that. And she was okay. on the team with you. You have a lot of experience now behind you. And especially with your recent result in the in the Comrades and now this result in the 50k, that would be telling me that the signs are there now that maybe 100k might be the one that you could do really, really well at. Yeah. Actually, Tim, yeah, can, so can, can... consider this, right? The pace that you, when we're talking about controlling the controllables and all that, when we were mm. over in uh, Hyderabad, the air quality wasn't great. So I think that that yeah. would have an effect on a performance dur- during the race. For the hun- for the 50k, you ran an average pace of 401 per kilometre. Four, oh, yeah. four minutes, one second per kilometre. If you look back at your comrades this year, you also ran a pace of four minutes and one second. So you ran the exact, <laughs> you ran the same, same pace for yeah. almost twice the distance. And plus, mm. the course in Hyderabad was fairly flat. When you went over yeah. to Comrades, it's it's hilly. And because it's a downhill yeah. as well, there's a lot of pressure on your quads. So is that not telling you that there is a really, really good 100k there waiting to come out? Yeah, probably. <laughs> if you put it like that. <laughs> well, did you had you looked at, yeah. at the, the comparison with the paces? Yeah, no, I hadn't. But yeah, now you've said it, I'm like, oh, yeah. It's a good point. <laughs> and then also look at look at the yeah. uh, split you had in uh, your fifty k split in the two oceans fifty k this year mm. again. That was three nineteen twenty, which is very mm. impressive. So it might be worth actually you know, reconsidering it. Or maybe when you, when you go to your coach, you can actually you know show them what yeah. your av- average pacing that was. So and plus the next day, look at what we did. The next day we went we went to. I forget the name, Glenconda Fort or something. And if you were to look yeah. at what we actually climbed that day, like with all those steps, and there wasn't a bother on anyone. Yeah, to be fair, my I was apps like my body felt absolutely fine. Yeah, I could I could see that race. because the amount of steps that we actually yeah. went up and down, like you know, yeah. that, that like, was. I thought I would be a little bit sore, but I was yeah. actually. But I think that's because, like in training and stuff, I trained to run at like a a lot quicker pace than we did in the race. So, yeah. Really but then I, I suppose with the way the race was, it became racing rather than pacing. And there was one of the yes. American yeah, girls, yeah, yeah. Andrea, was running amongst yeah. your, your group. Like, she, she was she was part, part of your pack. Mm. So there was that lead group and then everyone else was was kind of following behind that. So, yeah, it, it was great to actually see, as I mentioned, but then the next day, 
it was like you hadn't ran, ran at all. Like, yeah, it was which, weird. And, and then there was nobody talking about the race, so it was quite surreal, yeah. really. <laughs> it, it was like the race hadn't happened. Yeah. Were you like, what? What? What's? Why are you all talking about the race? <laughs> yeah, I, I just it, it was just one of the, one of those things. And then when, as you're walking around, then there was a, l- a lot of attention from the locals, which made it look like yeah. they'd been watching the race. You know, it was quite strange. Yeah, well, wasn't I think it? they were just yeah. <laughs> where I just think they hadn't seen yeah. like Western people before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, yeah, yeah, most most definitely. So, what do you think is next on your calendar? Um, I'm actually going to do um, some 10Ks uh, for the next couple of months, just try and get a little bit of speed um, in my legs. Um, and then it will be again next year, like probably in Jan, Feb time, just starting that build up for Two Oceans and Comrades again. And aside from the running, you also have set up strength conditioning and yoga for runners. You What do you call it? SCY or Sky for runners? Yeah, SCY for runners. Were you doing that before you were actually a competitive athlete or did it yeah. develop from how you were training? Yeah, so I've always done strength and conditioning and mobility and I've always like known like the importance of it um, with running. And it was actually during lockdown where I started to see a lot of people popping up saying, you know, come and do yoga for runners and strength for runners. But the stuff that they were doing, I could tell that they weren't a runner um, because they were like, get your leg and wrap it around your head and do like really weird strength exercises. So I set it up in a way that, you know, Everyone could do the session. It was aimed at runners. I knew how a runner kind of moved and what we were capable of and also the exercises that we needed to do to make us better. And I just wanted to make a program that was just easy. You just press play, you follow along, you don't have to think about it. And you almost put that trust in me that I'm making the best program that is possible for you. And the strength that we do in that program is exactly what I do. And, you know, since doing that week in, week out, for the past two years, like I haven't been injured. And I think it's because I do that every single week and I know how my body, my body feels. And yeah, I just wanted a program that like added value and taught, you know, gave runners the tools on how they could be the best. And I just want to add something to that as well as you were mentioning talking to your coach, but as well as that, you're, you're also a qualified UK athletics coach. You have a qualification Mm. in science and health, exercise and sport. And you also are a level three yoga teacher. Yeah. And then you're a very competitive athlete. You're a world champion. There's a a big knowledge base there uh, backing this up Mm. rather than somebody just doing a weekend course or an online course and trying to put something out there. How can somebody access that? Um, If they either go to scyforrunners.com all the infos there or carlamolinaro.com on my website. You can then get to the link through there as well. But yeah, it's open for everyone at any level. And we've got people in the group that are road, track, trail, doesn't matter what surface, what distance, it's going to benefit you. And if somebody came to you as an aspiring ultra runner, is there any, any questions you might ask them to see if 
they know what they're getting themselves into or would you have any any tips that might be encouraging um i think no one really knows what they're getting into when we go into these things and that's almost like part of the fun is you know just exploring a little bit and seeing what works for you and i think the biggest thing is i guess i see a lot of people come into ultra running they just started running and all of a sudden they want to go straight into running a hundred miler. I think it's important to take your time and slowly build up those distances. So do some 50 Ks, do some, you know, 70, 100 and gradually build up that distance. You don't, you know, an ultra marathon is anything over a marathon. You don't have to go straight to a hundred miler. And I think, you know, if you do, um, yeah, sometimes that can lead to you like hating it and getting injured. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, take your time, respect the distances and build up nice and slowly and progressively um, instead of just going guns blazing. Yeah, that's a good answer. Get the experience along the way with manageable distances. Learn what the problems can be during the race. Get a feel for Mm -hmm. what nutrition is needed. You get the opportunity to talk to people. And then you start adding bits to that. Do you have a favourite race of all the ones that you have done? Oh, I think Two Oceans. It's it's beautiful. It's hard. Um, It's, yeah, it's a tough course. It's like an honest race. And yeah, Cape Town's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, Can you explain why it's called Two Oceans? Uh, so yes, it goes around the peninsula of Cape Town and you go, I guess you start running down the Indian Ocean and then come back up the Atlantic. So yeah, you're running both of the oceans. That in itself makes it sound so attractive. Like, So that's as, as good a reason yeah. to do it. What would you like best about the ultramarathon? Like, to me, it's the places that it brings me. Like, I've travelled quite a lot to races mm. and it gives me a chance to experience new environments and you know get to meet different people and i also like the overall experience like when i was in india there just recently i wouldn't have gone to india except for the race being on i didn't get a chance to go looking around no sightseeing but it was a great experience to actually be there and and kind of get a feel for the area that's what i like best about it yeah i really like that about india too and i'm the same like there is i wouldn't have gone to india if that race wasn't happening like I wouldn't have gone there on my own back so it was nice to take me out of my comfort zone and make me go and race somewhere a little bit different but I guess yeah if you're looking for a race yeah there's there's different factors so like comrades you do I do because of the atmosphere and the vibe like the course is ugly it's not beautiful by any means but the you know to do an ultra marathon with 20,000 people on the start line is really special whereas two oceans I would do because it is a beautiful course so I think you can have different reasons to do different races so it might be India because it takes you out of your comfort zone and makes you go somewhere different comrades for the camaraderie like along the course and then oceans for the views and I think it's fine to do different races for different reasons it doesn't have to be the same one every time yeah I think you're you're selling it to me I'd like to go and and do that race I think that would be a good reason mm, now to should. visit South Africa yeah do it put it on your list come visit 
Can you tell me a little bit about the uh, mental side of your training and racing? How do you um, practice that or how do you hone your, your mental strength? Yeah, so one of the things that I do um, is before every race, I'll draw out like either the race route or the race profile. And then I just spend the time thinking about when am I going to find the race tough? to try and you know picture that and go through in my mind when those tough moments are going to be before I even get to the start line so when they happen in the race I can think back going it's okay like I knew it was going to be tough at this point this is fine um so that might be you know a certain duration or a certain hill or a point in the race um and then as well just you know, doing it in training, like you're never going to go up to the distances that you train in the race, but getting comfortable with um, running at race pace. So that becomes almost like a very easy pace that you want to run at. I think that is also part of that mental training, just to have that confidence to know that you can do it for those durations of times. And how do yeah. you recover mentally so it's easy to recover the, f- the physical side of the mm. racing was you can just chill out like you, you you were doing for the last couple of days as you were traveling around <laughs> yeah. and chilling out on a couple of nice beaches but the mental side of it can be a bit more difficult because yeah. we're kind of always switched on yeah and i think it is important to take those breaks in your training so it's been quite nice like for this couple of weeks for me, last week, this week, I haven't got a program to follow. If I want to run, I'll go for a run. If I don't want to run, I'm not going to go and run. So like yesterday, I got back from a day of traveling and actually I was just tired. So I was like, you know what? I can't be bothered. I'm just going to chill at home um, instead. And it's nice to have that mental that mental break and give myself that freedom um after comrades i found because i'd bounced from two oceans straight into comrades actually i'd done a marathon then oceans and comrades i was actually really mentally tired so i actually had about a month off after comrades where this time i felt that i don't actually need that long probably by next week i'll be back to training properly again and that will be like a two-week break but i don't feel as mentally fatigued at this point as I did after comrades and I think that's also important like listening to your body you don't have to put like a set amount of time on it and they can be that fluidity in it to sometimes need longer to have a break sometimes you can get into it a little bit a little bit quicker so yeah it's all about just listening to your body what do you do to relax like what's your day off like um so to relax I like to I read, I'd like to find nice restaurants to go to with my friends in in Cape Town. Um, yeah, that's, I guess, like a big part of what I enjoy doing here. Um, yeah, not, nothing crazy. So you can do um, a lot of non-running related, non-training related stuff as your, as your downtime. That's good. Yeah. Now, somebody Basically told me that eating, you used to reading. have a cake making business. I did. Okay. And <laughs> how, how, what happened it? Um, I found it quite a lonely job. Okay. So, yeah, because you're, you're just by yourself all the time. I didn't really like it. Like you'd speak to the person initially about what kind of cake 
they wanted. It was a very quick chat and then you would make the cake and give them the cake and, and that was it. So, yeah, I, I like the idea of maybe one day having a coffee cake shop where you've got that like interaction with people. But yeah, for me, it was a little bit lonely just doing it by myself all the time. Well, make sure it's not like that one in, in Hyderabad because I found myself too focused on what was on the <laughs> shelves to actually even realise there was somebody behind the counter. I it was know, mesmerizing. those were a bit crazy. It yeah. was. I'm kind of conscious of, of the time now because you've been on another call as well and we're getting near your seven o'clock. So I'm going to try and wrap it up now. Is there anything that we could mention before we finish? Just trying to think. Um... Perfect. Well, Carla, thanks very much for your time. It's been very informative and I'll be keeping an eye on what you do next. And for anybody listening in, if you enjoyed this or any of the other podcasts, please leave a review and pass it on to a friend. Thank you. Mm-hmm.